So I think one of the things that I learned from my experience that even if I could go back, I would tell myself this, you know, I had this, maybe it's my type A personality a little bit. I had this idea of like, I have to do this and this is what it looks like. But one of the things, and it just through happenstance worked out this way, it never went according to plan. So All right. So you lived in a car in a parking lot before you had your success. Obviously, there are some nuances to this story, but what did you learn from this experience and what was the background and what was this like? You know, it's funny that you went right for it, right out of the gate, which I love. So <laughs> I learned a lot from it. And actually, most people don't even believe me half the time when I tell that story. Because they're like, really? You were doing that? Um, but it was a very humbling experience. I got a little too, you know, hot to trot in my younger years. I thought I could figure this stuff out. And it all fell apart. Um, everything I thought I had planned just completely the floor fell out from under me and I was left going, I don't really know what to do. And I did what I could. And I think if anything, what I've learned from that is really bringing that kind of approach to any circumstance that I'm in is no matter where you are, there's always something you can do. There are definitely aspects of it that are outside your control but there's always something you can control within that. And if you can mm -hmm. focus in on what can I control, then you can always somehow chart a path out. And ultimately, that's what I did. I'm like, well, I can't change my circumstance, but I can find a bank that has Wi-Fi for free and get a laptop and then use that to help change my circumstances. And that's exactly what I did. It's kind of like the closest approximation to survival men or like being a survivalist in society. Um, did you feel like kind of primitive, primal? Um, did you kind of force yourself into Probably this? looked pretty primitive and primal, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I just mean, I can't imagine. I mean, in some ways it was. It. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it was because some of the luxuries that, especially in the States, we often take for granted you know, that we just assume, well, this is everybody's situation. Suddenly it wasn't my situation. And you go, whoa, this is territory I've never navigated. And yeah, that survivalist kind of mentality creeps in where you're like, okay, this is yeah. new territory. I don't know what to do. I can't did, play by the same rules that I played before. Did you have a certain kind of um, like acceptance and gratification for the things that you have now because you have those experiences, because you have the experience of having so little in that time? Do you have a certain kind of thankfulness for the things you have now? Yeah, I would say twofold. Uh, one, I have a very much more significant appreciation for everything. And I reassess and evaluate everything that I consider doing based on that going, mm. You know, you're, you're only a couple bad decisions from going back to that. Hmm. So think carefully so that yeah. you don't build up a framework that if you make a few bad decisions, you actually can fall right back into that same place. And so I'm much more careful and collective. And even, you know, sometimes my wife is like, you know, you're not really just one step away from that. Maybe you could be a little yeah. less cautious, but I'm like, For nah, sure. it's it's changed the way. And I also have a greater respect and appreciation for people in general. I think yeah. so often we make assumptions about people because of surface level things that we see. It says like, you don't know, you don't know their story. 
You don't know yeah. why they are where they are. And you need to have the respect and show them the dignity that you would uh, and, and not let that influence you. Cause I was that person. Yeah, no, hundred percent agree. It feels like as soon as you realize that you have more, like more than the average person, you start realizing and start being thankful for just the things that you previously took for granted, like small things. Like, you know, I think in COVID, we all took for granted human interaction. And then we realized, oh, like this is something that we actually need. Uh, so it's interesting that when you were in that situation, you start thinking back on that situation and start realizing, oh, I don't want to go back to that. So let me just be careful. And you have those experiences and you can share those experiences. Speaking yeah. of experiences, you have seven children. So <laughs> what's your work-life balance like? And how have you maintained your career and developed your career in fatherhood? Yeah. So I have a very integrated approach to things. I think a lot of folks have and this is just a trend I'm seeing change. And I was maybe on the earlier end of this curve. You know, for a long time, people were always trying to compartmentalize their lives. Well, I've got my work life and then my personal life. And mm -hmm. quite frankly, when you have seven kids, that's not really an option. You can't yeah. have, especially when you work from home too. So yeah. there's no, well, I'll put this in this nice basket and I'll keep this one over here. And so for me, I've really had to just embrace that. Um, and say, well, you know what? I mean, I was in an executive board meeting today and my two-year-old came crashing through the office door and he just hung out with me. And it's like, yeah. well, okay. Um, I think some of it is also having boundaries. And that's something that I don't think people always do a good job of, of setting healthy boundaries. So for me, people know, don't ask me to come to a work meeting in the evening. I'm not going to come. I will just decline it. And I don't care if it comes from the CEO because that's not a time that you can intrude in my life type of a thing. And granted, are there exceptions to rules? Well, of course you always make exceptions, sure. but I think in terms of that balance piece, growing up in a funeral home made me realize like, I'm always just one step away from potentially not being here tomorrow. So do I really want to walk into that? With potential regrets and so i think i'm really intentional about finding that right integration i want to touch on two things number one i want to talk about the funeral home if you wouldn't mind like what did you sure. learn in that setting yeah so the funeral home one it's funny my brother and i were exchanging marco polos today about this one thing we take for granted and I'm actually glad for it, but I often forget with other folks, a lot of people don't like to think about death. Sure. We don't like to think about the fact yeah. that we're finite and yeah. that at some point you're just not going to be here tomorrow. And what I've seen over the years is unfortunately, it's not like a lot of people imagine in their heads, like, well, when I'm 87 and lived a grand old life, then that's what's when it's going to happen. And unfortunately, that's not the case. And being around that all the time, it just changes your perspective. And not that you live a life where you just go throw caution to the wind because who knows if tomorrow's coming? No, because the reality is tomorrow does come a lot. And going back to, do you want to set yourself up for a nosedive the next day? Well, no, but you also hold things with an open hand, recognizing I'm not going to get too spun up on this because the end of the day it really may not matter i definitely um 
connect with you on that kind of death mentality, if you want to call it that. Um, I've always just told myself that I wouldn't die, that I'd just be like a, a long-term human, if you will. And, you know, <laughs> in 2050, they'll have a cure for death or something. So I just push it out of my mind. Um, I guess just expanding on that, when did you come to terms with this mindset around death and what did that do for you? Just accepting that you are finite. What did those limits on life um, do for your mindset? Uh, so it very much was normalized for me as a kid. So I don't know mm -hmm. that I really thought about it that much because it was always others. Mm -hmm. You know, I helped my dad around the funeral home. I would go on death calls and do all this. And even though sometimes I would, people would be young, it was still this kind of disconnect. So it had normalized it for me. I think one of the things that really shifted it for me was when I was 19, my best friend was out on a motorcycle ride and he hit a patch of gravel and hit a telephone pole. And that was it. I mean, he was done. And I remember getting that phone call and I worked with my dad on the funeral. And that was the first time that I think it really hit that it's like, this isn't always someone else. And this isn't always something that's way in the distant future. So even though I'd been around it for so long, I think that moment really made me go, well, wait a minute now, this is very personal and not otherly. Right. And I guess that's where you kind of extrapolate to setting boundaries, because you know that life is limit or, or limited, rather, and you know, you want to make the most of your time. So I guess speaking from a Gen Z point of view, for people who are earlier in their careers, how do you set yeah. those boundaries? How do, how do you accumulate the confidence in order to say, I don't want to come to meetings in the evenings, but also want to have like a career? <laughs> yeah. So one of the first things that I would say with this is there are a lot of myths that I've seen people believe and they make decisions based on the assumption that this myth is true. So just as an example, like I have to do this thing for work because if I don't, I'll get fired. Or if I don't, I can't be successful. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, people don't see that this starts creeping in. And at a younger age, this is where it can really affect you because you start to build a reputation and a brand and people start to think of you a certain way. And what you don't realize is you may be laying the groundwork for something you can't climb back out of. Mm. And so even again, younger in your career, you know, well, I'll do whatever is asked of me and anything, even if it's unreasonable, but if it's going to help me get one step further, it's worth it. And it's like, well, but what you don't realize is then when you get to that step, people still have that same expectation and it's even higher now. And now you can't, it's a lot harder to back out. So I think sometimes it's one of those being willing to take a little bit of a risk and obviously assess your risk. You know, you probably don't want to shoot off at your boss. Like, you know, like hell, I'm going to attend this thing. I yeah. mean, that's not an appropriate way to do it. And I think that's yeah. the younger version of me. If I could go talk to the younger version of me, I would say, Hey, like maybe the way you represent things, I probably would have not got punched in the nose quite as many times had I been a little more diplomatic, Sure, but I was still very strong back then setting boundaries. And that's actually what made it easier later in my career because I'd already worked through the things and realized I'm not going to get fired for not attending a team happy hour. I'm not going to get fired if I 
don't promise to work through the weekend on some deadline. And I do a good job articulating, here's what I think I can do. That's a reasonable type of a thing. That's, that's very good advice. Um, I would also want to know for the Gen Z that are worried um, starting their careers with technology, very few people have heard of called ChatGPT. Um, yeah. <laughs> what are your opinions on that? Oh, well, I recorded like three YouTube videos on this topic because it sucked all the air out of the room. I, I actually think Gen Z is going to be one of the best position generations Hmm. to understand how to use it well, if they're smart with it, Hmm. because I think what you're going to see with some of the older generations, and I deal with this with even some of my peers and you know, the, the generations older is they become very set in their ways of how work gets done. Sure. And so the thought of an AI algorithm doing some of their work feels like a threat to their career identity. Hmm. And I think with Gen Z, you haven't necessarily formed that this is who I am and how I do it. And so the thought of going, well, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal if an algorithm takes care of this part of my work. Cause really this is the part of my work that gives me life, gives me joy. I can spend more time doing that and not have to stress about this. So I think there's a real opportunity there. I think the risk though is, is you could become overly dependent on it. And I think this is one of the biggest risks. You look at the research GPS actually made people dumber. Yeah. People didn't think critically about directions. They st- they just trusted their phone. And I give, some close friends, a hard time about this. They can't find their way to the grocery store without their phone. And I'm like, are you kidding? It's like down the street, but they've just stopped thinking. And I think that's the risk is that growing up with this being the air you breathe, it would be easy to go. Oh, great. I don't have to think I can just Mm -hmm. let this do the thinking for me. And that's where I would say, don't go down that path. That could be extremely detrimental. But what what advice would you give for people, or maybe not advice, but what would you say to people who are treating this as a kind of second brain, as I'm just going to let this do the critical thinking for me, and then just kind of regurgitate, which is what ChatGPT is doing, it's just, you know, aggregating and regurgitating. But people are using yeah. it and trying to advance their careers, trying to advance their academics. How How do you get out of that bubble? If you're already on this path... This is one of those, like, you're going to have some real work and you're probably going to get hurt coming off the path because one of the challenges with it is, is you're creating an imposter syndrome that you're never going to be able to catch up with Hmm. because by allowing chat GPT to become your brain, you're now going to have to try and keep pace with something you, you literally can't, it's going to learn things faster than you. It's going to be able to reform things quicker than you can. So by doing that, you're always going to be behind the curve. And what's going to happen is you're going to end up in a conversation where somebody asks follow-up questions or challenges assumptions on why you're doing what you're doing. And you're going to be stuck. So I think one of the things you can do if you are in that path is actually start to use it to, uh, one of the videos I did on it was how to use this for your own development. There's nothing wrong with using it for your own development and challenging your own thinking, but make sure you're then using it to say, but what am I not thinking about? And mm. actually taking time to reflect and process 
well, what did this just say? And how do I feel about that? And what is my point of view? And do I actually agree on that? And then you can start to kind of warp back out of it. Well, speaking of development, um, you're kind of indirectly solving automation uh, through your company, Learning Shark. So can you speak more about what you do, what Learning Sharks, what Learning Sharks, excuse me, sets out to do and how you are indirectly solving automation for Gen Z through that? Yeah, so... <laughs> Well, so in, in a number of different ways. So learning sharks is like my whatever side hustle. Um, and what I've done with that is I see where technology is at and where it's going. And not only for Gen Z, but for organizations as a whole, a lot of them are struggling to figure out what does this actually mean for the way we do work? And what does it mean ultimately for the people? Because at the end of the day, regardless of how much automation and tech gets integrated, you're still running a company on people. People may just be more involved with the tech. And so really what I'm trying to do is help through my influence and through the work that I do to help people see around the corners before they get there. Uh, and so that's where I'd, I've been talking so much about chat GPT because I see people looking at it going, hey, we should do this and not mm. thinking through the full implications of uh, maybe, but what are the implications of that on this? And how does that tie back to people and what their roles are? And how do you have the right skills in your org and in the right talent that you're actually able to move the ball forward? So that's a very complicated answer to that, but it's a complicated space. And my goal is to try and simplify it for people. Do you have any like, three-step program for Gen Z to kind of jumpstart their development skills, any uh, special places to, to focus for them in terms um, of just development? Yeah. Are you talking, are you talking location, like how to do it or where to focus? I guess would where be to my focus follow -up question, if anything, hands down, one of the things that I would tell not just Gen Zers, but every single person that I interact with is those human skills. I know a lot of people call them soft skills, whatever. Mm -hmm. Those are where to invest your time and energy. Focus on critical thinking, decision-making, communication. It sounds like really that's yeah. the big wow moment. Yeah, it is. Because as we move forward, those are going to be the things that differentiate the strong from the weak, uh, going yeah. back even to your question about, um, you know, how do you get out of the chat GPT cycle? It's like, well, you focus on your human skills because AI is not going to be able to do that. And if you're no more than just a parroting AI mm -hmm. bot, you're replaceable. No, this is, I, this is, this goes right back in line with things I've written about as well. Um, in terms of, the you don't want to create skills that make you more robotic more like the ai systems no. you want to you know you want to develop skills that make you more human and you know enhance your emotional intelligence your social intelligence um so you're an author uh, so what's your experience <laughs> writing a book and why did you do it in the first place yeah i swore i never was going to do it which is kind mm -hmm. of one of the funny things i didn't think that was the thing for me is there a reason and... why um, I, if you haven't even picked up from this conversation, 
I can talk really quick on a lot of different things. But to me, I always thought about that as that doesn't make a good book. Okay. <laughs> you end up flipping through it going, how does this all fit together? Okay. This feels a little schizophrenic. And so without the guidance of a narrator or something like that, I just always was like, I don't know. I don't really know who would read a book of the crazy mind of Christopher. Mm-hmm. But then it was between going back to do grad school or a PhD again. And I was talking to a lot of my mentors and they said, honestly, you have a lot of really valuable insights. I think you'd be better invested in figuring out how to hone and shape and mold that into something more sustainable, like a book. I think that actually benefit you more from a career standpoint than actually going back to school. And I wrestled with it for a bit. And then one night at three in the morning, when I was in my sleep, it kind of clicked the whole thing, just the pieces fell together. And I went, holy crap, I have a book. I know what I would write. I know how I can throw these crazy stories together into a cohesive narrative. What was your writing process like? (laughs) Little all over in the Mm. beginning, I actually took the time and I got a coach to help me through it, uh, Mm. to help me talk through you know, okay, let's, let's unpack these stories. Like what really are you trying to communicate through these stories? Cause I'm very much a storyteller. And so it was, let's think about the stories and how do these stories fit together and let's restructure these stories. And so we got them all out there and then did a little bit of a mind mapping exercise to pull it together into one big focus area, which was relentless intention. And that's how the whole thing came together. One thing I want to make sure we touch on is like your philosophy behind publishing the book, you didn't do it for money. Uh, you did it for the information to to spread that information. Can you just speak to that philosophy and where that came from? Yeah. <laughs> I, um, so it's a complicated answer on this one because you would see the same thing in, you know, people ask, why don't you monetize your content? You produce mm-hmm. so much content. Why don't you? And I'm like, because I don't do it for money type of a thing. And the philosophy was the same for my work. Uh, And the same was true with my book. It was like, well, I'm not creating this to try and build a name for myself or do that. Ultimately, going back from a philosophical standpoint, so I have a Christian worldview, I would call myself a Christian. And so to me, my inner purpose is to use what I have to serve God and ultimately serve others. That just that just is ground into my fiber. And so for me, it was all these experiences, all this knowledge, all this stuff that I've acquired over the years, it's not for my own personal gain. It's ultimately to hopefully help someone else not have to make the same mistakes I did, or hopefully see around the corners that I didn't. And so that philosophically drove me to say, well, then that's why you're doing it. If one person reads it and it helps them not get knocked off the tarmac, great. It was worth the effort. Sure. And you brought up God. I'd love to ask you about that. Um, I feel like, you know, in in the 21st century, God has become kind of taboo, which is even weird to say. Um, Like you you talk about God and feels like people roll their eyes. I personally believe in God, but I believe in God from like uh, the perspective of Spinoza. Like God isn't this like deity. It's a substance. Like everything is God. Um, That's just how I think of it. What are your interpretations of God? 
how do you think about God? How has God impacted your life? Yeah. So one of the things from my experience, and again, we're not getting into all this. If you read some of the book, you'll get some of it. If we had a, if we had a happy hour after this, <laughs> I could tell you way more than I'll tell you on the for podcast. Sure. But for me, this even goes back to like what makes us distinctly human. To me, mm -hmm. God is relational in nature. And I think that's one of the things we see personally in why humans are so distinctly different. We were created in his image and that comes out in what makes us distinctly human. So that's been my experience through this is it's a very personal relational thing, which is why we have this ingrained desire to be in connection and collaboration with other people. It's why some of the things that we go, well, why don't other creatures do the same things people do? And it's like, well, that's why. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. Is there any kind of abstraction that you could pass on to people who maybe don't believe in God? Um, certain things that you, the theists do not, or at, at least that atheists don't find that theists find implicit? Yeah. I think, yeah, I do. And I think one of them is, and I think this is a valuable exercise regardless, because my goal in talking and bringing it up, it wasn't to try and convince anyone of anything. I don't see sure. that as my role in things, but more one thing that is universally beneficial to people. And that's really what the book Relentless Intention is about is, have you taken the time to put energy into defining what is I really doing here? And mm. what am I trying to accomplish? Like, what was I made to accomplish? A lot of people go through life and they never take the time to ask that question. They're just yeah. going through the motions, doing whatever happens then. And that's a pretty miserable existence. existence. Yeah. It's a very miserable existence because it's like, well, it's good, but I don't know what's good because good is based on, I have no idea what versus mm -hmm. actually saying, what am I really setting out to do? What am I doing here? And when you know that, that can be extremely powerful, whether you choose to have a theistic view or an atheistic view on it. And it's going to be especially uh, pertinent as millions of people are kind of automated away. We talked about ChatGPT and we, we're talking about purpose and meaning and people are going to be forced into finding that when their jobs are taken away and they're put on UBI or, or GLI or hopefully whatever comes their way. Um, just taking a step back, do you have any thoughts about these unfortunate yeah. uh, predictions about the hundreds of millions of people that are definitely going to be automated in the very, uh, in the coming decades? Yeah. So, so I think the thing with this um, that goes back to why I think regardless of your worldview, figuring out that purpose makes such a huge difference is because of this. And I've worked with people, I've coached people over the years on this. What you don't want to be is in a position where what you've defined as your identity suddenly gets taken away from you. And right. that's exactly the scary part of what's happening with AI is people have built their identity around what they've done mm -hmm. instead of actually digging into like, but what is my why? And this, how I've done it just happens to be the way that I'm executing it type of a thing. And so to those folks who are looking at this going, I'm concerned about this. You have legitimate reasons for being concerned. I totally get it. There are aspects of my job that I go, yeah, if I'm not aware of this, I would have good reason to be concerned. But I think what having that purpose 
can really help you do. And I think this is why for folks who may be struggling with this or concerned, especially I think of Gen Z, you start coming in, you're like entry level, like good grief. Couldn't all of this stuff be automated technically? Yeah. But if you know what your purpose is, what that allows you to do is be creative and innovative in the yeah. way that you exercise that and say, okay, if this is what AI is taking over, so be it. Because if I know that this is my purpose, I can start looking for what are the things that it's not doing mm -hmm. and use these human skills that I have. I can identify the gaps and then I'm going to lean in and say, well, I'm going to live out my purpose in a different way than maybe I thought. Maybe I thought I was going to do it this way and AI's eating my lunch over there, but that's not scary because I can still live out that purpose over here in this other way, just in a distinctly different way than I thought. Kind of like a radical adaptation or a ruthless adaptation where, you know, you have to just accept that technology has taken away what you thought you wanted to do and then figure out how to make a life or make a living or make a, make a career out of something else. Um, what yeah. do you think about on this, on this one really quick? I got it. Yeah. There's a story on this one that I'll just share a positive one that I think yeah. can be helpful. So, because I think sometimes we look at the doom and gloom side of mm -hmm. it instead of the, but think about the opportunities you may be missing hmm. that AI was actually preventing you from ever seeing because you would have been so busy in this rote routine stuff. So just one example that's not even related to work. Yeah. I, from the time I was a kid, always dreamed of flying. It was like, if you'd asked me, what's your super, what was superpower? I'd fly for sure. But it was always one of these like, but I'll never be able to fly. You know, we know that's ridiculous type of a thing. People can't fly all the scientific reasons behind it. And then I actually started to unpack my why. Why do you care about flying in the first place? Like, what difference does that make? And I started realizing the autonomy, the freedom, the ability to see things from a different angle, like all this stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. And as I started unpacking what this was, especially as I started having more kids and less free time to go do the things I love to do, I started actually redefining this and I actually realized if I bought a drone with a VR headset, I could fly. Mm. And to me, this was an opportunity that I would have never seen, except for the fact that I started defining my why and unpacking, well, maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Maybe I'm mm. thinking about flying like wow. Superman and jumping up in the air and that's flying. And by thinking of it that way, I'm actually limiting the opportunities of how I actually may be able to fly. And I think there's some things with that in your career you'd be surprised what you can do. And I think AI may actually bring out the best in people. Well, I guess we can start, start talking about Gen Z and their careers. Um, so Gen Z probably need a lot of advice on their careers with all of these turmoils and struggles. Um, what advice would you have for those that are just like right about to get started? Maybe they're high school graduates. They don't want to do post-secondary. Maybe they're just finishing university or college like I am and they're, you know, realizing I don't know what I want to do. My degree is useless or something like that. What advice do you have for those people who are confused and, you know, don't see light at the end of the tunnel? So I think one of the things that I learned from my experience that even if I could go back, I would tell myself this, you know, I had this, maybe it's my type A personality a little bit. I had this idea of like, I have to do this and this is what it looks like. And I was defining my career based on, I don't even know what, I, my career counselor or who knows. And, but one of the things, and it just through happenstance worked out this way, 
it never went according to plan. So I ended up in a bunch of jobs that I didn't, they were not jobs that I wanted. I mean, some of them were just terrible jobs, but I went into them with this mindset of what can I take from this, both from a relationship, relationship standpoint, and also from a skill standpoint. And I'm going to be really intentional, really thinking about what can I learn from this experience? And you know what? This isn't my forever job and that's okay, but I'm going to take everything I can and contribute everything that I can while I'm here. And that second piece makes a big difference because you will stand out. And I, I can say this as a senior leader, people stand out who come in with that attitude. Yeah. So if you're new and you come in going, this may not be what I want to do, but I'm here to learn everything I can and get to know as many people as I can. And honestly, I'm doing it because I just want to do as much for these people. And again, healthy boundaries. That doesn't mean just kill yourself over it, but truly having that attitude, I'm telling you right now, you will stand out above the vast majority. And that sounds so simple. Cause it's like, really just like show up, do a good job and have a good mm -hmm. attitude and follow through on what you say. Yeah. Because the vast majority of people don't do a good job doing that. And people notice and people pay attention and things you may not even be seeing happening will start to happen in circles that you may not even be aware of and be okay that, you know what, this might not go. Okay. I think that's another thing that unfortunately, I think the younger generations and I was part of this was like failure wasn't accepted. Mm. You know, everybody had to win. Everybody had to do great. Like, nah, even the best ball players, I'm not a sports person, but even the best ball players don't hit the ball all the time. They miss strike out all the time. And so be okay with that and just take everything you can from that experience. Well, you, you said that you see a lot of people kind of not putting in the work. Lots of people don't show up as much as possible. They don't put in the work. They don't try to stand out. Do you have any theories on why that is? Is it just this generation? Did you see it in your generation oh. as well? No, see, I, that's why I hate generational stereotypes. Seer, it drives me nuts. Oh, the Gen Zers are like, they're not, no, they're not. They are. But it feels anything. like that's always happened with specifically Gen it Z. Has. Like most, like most people I've talked to about Gen Z and I feel, I say it about my generation as well. Like we don't work hard enough and maybe that's like, uh, maybe I'm wrong as well, but where is that? So here's what from? I've seen. Yeah. Sure. So here's what I've seen. First of all, one, there's always chronological snobbery. Interesting. There's always chronological snobbery where people yeah. look back and they go, oh, well, that's not how we did it back in my day. And it's like, mm. are you kidding? When yeah. you were in your 20s, right? You, oh yeah, you were just this dedicated, disciplined heart. Give me a break. You were trying yeah. to figure out how to cut corners and whatever and knock out a worker. Just quit it. But there is this attitude like, well, that was never me. And so it's unacceptable to see that in others. And I do think that then does perpetuate because when the millennials, I was a millennial and everybody said, oh, the millennials is the most spoiled generation. They don't like to, and it's like, no, you're kids. <laughs> it's the stage of life you're in. And so I think, is there some truth to what's being said? Sure. But to me, that's not a generational thing. That's a stage mm -hmm. in life thing. And I think that's why can you stand out distinctly knowing that 
hey, if this is the vast majority of where people in this stage in life are acting, so be that 5% that maybe is just a little further ahead on the curve. I'll push back just for the conversation, but Go I for feel it. like it's always fun. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I feel like it's always it's always said about Gen Z for a specific reason. It's because we have access, like unlimited access to these types of conversations of people like yourself who are telling us how like who are giving us the wisdom from your earlier years and saying, this is what I did wrong. Here is the knowledge I've accumulated so you don't make those same mistakes. And the fact yeah. that we are going through those same things, even though we have unlimited access to free information, something has to be said on, are we still not really understanding how to use the internet? Are we using it incorrectly? Are we ignoring the information? Like what, yeah. what is your, what are your thoughts on this? So I agree with it. What I think though is it's not unique to Gen Z. That's okay. that's my take on it. I mean, you sure. look at you look at the span of human history <laughs> and you look at things and go, how did we not learn from the ancient Greeks? How did the mm. Romans perpetuate the same thing? How did the Eastern European like how did like you just look back at all these things and you're like, how does this kind of stuff happen? And I think in some ways it's the human condition. Mm. We just we just kind of continue repeating yeah. our own mistakes until we do it. And then we're like, oh wow, I was kind of an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look back with the wisdom. And I think that's sometimes where with the chronological snobbery, you're like, well, you should have known this. And it's like, really? You made all the same mistakes. Well, speaking of uh wisdom uh the pod father himself you're called the joe rogan of corporate um how does corporate work and <laughs> that was a nice segue how does corporate work yeah. and what misunderstandings do people have of it so it's funny i've i think people just have said that because of my style and just the candor that i have with things um you know as it relates to how corporate works the one thing that I would say is really important for especially the younger generation to know is there's a lot that's on. Are you familiar with In-N-Out, the restaurant, burger chain out? I've heard of it. I've never tried it. Okay. I'm more of a Shake Shack anyway. guy. All right. <laughs> okay. If you ever go to if you ever go to In-N-Out, yeah. there is a hidden menu. Okay. And anybody listening to this who's familiar with In-N-Out, if you don't know this, look up the hidden menu. You'll find out all about it. You'll be like, you're, you're kidding me. Like there's all this <laughs> stuff that nobody knows. Yeah. And it's like, yes. And that's the thing with corporate. And I would say just the professional world in general, there are all these cultural norms, these political landmines and stuff. Nobody ever teaches you this stuff. And my, again, going back to my purpose has always been, how do I help other people not make the same mistakes I did? My goal has always been, why don't we tell the next generation about the hidden menu? Are they going to believe it? Probably not anyway. But that's one of the most detrimental things. And one of the hardest things I remember early in my career, just being so frustrated going, why does one plus one equal three? It makes no sense. I keep yeah. doing the math over and over and it doesn't add up. And it's like, oh, well, there's actually an X <laughs> that 
you can't see and it's in yeah. the parentheses and you're like, what? Wait, why didn't anybody tell me that? Oh, mm-hmm. well, you know, you got to know. And that's why I think that relational and engaging and talking to people and not necessarily buying into everything they say, because there's plenty of the, this is how it is, that it's not really how it is. But listening to some of that wisdom and going, oh, there is a hidden menu. And mm. there are things that can make this pathway a whole lot easier for you than if you choose to try and just go through brute force doing one plus one should equal two. And I'm just going to keep doing the math until it does. What What's the special relationship between Gen Z and authenticity in your mind? Um, On this one, you know, I think for a long time, there's been a real fear of being real. And it goes back to what we started this conversation on with the work-life balance. The older generations have fought for so long to compartmentalize their life. I've got my work life. I got my personal life. I don't really want those two things to cross. And there's the whole rule book of how you're supposed to be at work and you must da, 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 da. And I think Gen Z has seen enough people in the spotlight now go, this is a bunch of crap. Hmm. (laughs) I mean, honestly, you look at it and you go, I'm not really buying this anymore. And so I do think there's this hunger. You know, I look at what Gen X, Gen X wanted to tear down the institutions. The millennials kind of came on the tail of this. And what I see Gen Z wanting to do is say, I don't hate the institution. I just wish it wasn't so hypocritical or so phony. Hmm. And to yeah. me, that's where I see them looking. And that's why I'm really encouraged with what Gen, B, Gen Z brings to the table is to be able to say, you have an opportunity to rebuild and yeah. you can rebuild it better than it was before. And I think that's where the authenticity comes through is they're looking for those people who are authentic and who are real and aren't a veneer, which social media, growing up on social media has made it that much harder yeah. because you've been exposed to so much that's like, is any of this real? Am I yeah. in the matrix? I mean, that's why I believe people are really attracted to Bitcoin because Bitcoin represents truth. It represents the first, I mean, people think of Bitcoin, it's not necessarily a cryptocurrency. It's more in terms of what Michael Saylor said, it's crypto property. But yep. Bitcoin is a response to, you know, the the complete and utter disaster that is the current financial system and when people realize that obviously there are people who just you know when is bitcoin going to a thousand hundred thousand a million there will always be those people but for the people that understand bitcoin i feel like once you understand what the technology is and also what it represents and what it can do you start saying why is not why isn't everybody on this like why hasn't the world changed because of this and i feel like that's you know uh, to what you were saying like that's a gen z trait is to just like see through things and just try to figure out what is the true aspect of this where is the truth if there's no truth or authenticity i'm not interested in this um and yeah. that's very that's very interesting uh, i never thought that was a, a character trait of my generation at least um, so the last two questions would just be, what feedback or criticisms do you have of and for Gen Z? Um, 
You know, I really, if I'm being honest, I'm not super critical in general. So to mm -hmm. me, the criticism is more just, I don't know, <laughs> just be careful, right? Sure. Because it's easy, again, going back to you have access to all this stuff. You're seeing all the dysfunction and all this stuff. It's easy to oversimplify things and say, well, this is how you fix it. Look how foolish everything's been. Almost the opposite of the chronological snobbery. You can look at the at the past and just go, are you kidding? Like, how did you make such a mess of things? Without understanding, there is complexity and there is nuance to all of this stuff that you may not see and you may not be able to be there. So I think that's not necessarily the criticism, but the watch out is that you sure. can oversimplify. And even what you said with the authenticity, recognize that, you need to be careful with that because there are reasons why people compartmentalized and why you didn't just bear all. And it's like, okay, so walk that line carefully. So I think that's the critique is just be really careful, especially when you're young. It's easy to just go throw caution to the wind and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the encouragement though, that I would continue to give in this generation is keep looking through and asking why and challenging the status quo. I think that's just such an important piece. And one of the things I appreciate the most about the generation is they care about things that matter and things that I think have been undervalued by, gen it was like, oh, those aren't really our problems to deal with. And I'm excited that the cycles come back to a generation that's like, but that does matter. That does matter. And I don't care if you are just saying, well, that doesn't up, profitability or increase our earnings per share. It's not all about that. And to me, that's extremely encouraging. And I hope that doesn't wane uh, at all as the generation continues to move things forward and, and then build things back better than they were. I think that's the other encouragement. Setting generational boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, I guess we can, we've come full circle. Chris, this was a fantastic podcast episode. Um, I really had fun driving wisdom from you as i'm sure everybody watching this or listening to this has where can we find you on social media so i am primarily on linkedin never got into the instagram i have a twitter but i don't think i really even do much with it type of a sure. thing um so linkedin is usually where i interact with most people which again for gen z in terms of feedback that is one of the best things i would encourage any gen zer to get involved with not not for like, hey, you have to do it exactly like I did, but I can just tell you hiring managers, that's where they go to see, that's where they go to see what you do. And that's a trusted source from a professional standpoint that I see a lot of younger generations going like, I don't really get it. Well, this dude's a uh, wisdom machine. Okay. Uh, just use LinkedIn. Um, and you said you had YouTube as well, right? Yeah, I do. Yep. I got a YouTube okay. channel. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. This was a fantastic episode. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening to the Gen Z Diplomat podcast. To support it, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and also check out our other social platforms on TikTok and Instagram. Also in the description are Christopher's links. Please check them out as that is the best way to support him as our guest. As always, I like to end off each episode with this statement. I firmly believe that the more we talk about what future we want, the more likely we are to build a future that we deserve. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please check out all of our past episodes and please stay tuned for our future episodes.